Just wanted to say in this week of celebrating veterans and honoring veterans, thank you for your service to our country and your sacrifice. Um, I told First Service that I had the privilege of being uh, a discipler to a young man many years ago when our church was pretty young. And uh, he ended up in Afghanistan and he did a couple tours and uh, he would sometimes call me from the battlefield and he told me that his Bible verse had become John 15, 13, no greater love is there than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And so thank you for your sacrifice and for the families of veterans here and even those of you who have lost loved ones in war, uh, we honor you and we know it's a sacrifice. And uh, even, you know, thinking about our veterans these days with not only the physical wounds that can happen on the battlefield, but the emotional scars uh, is something that we can't forget. Um, and it is really an epidemic in our world right now, what vets go through. So uh, let's keep them in prayer and make sure we honor them. And whenever I see someone with a hat on, I try to tell them, thank you for your service, because I think it's a significant thing that we say thank you. So I'm going to pray for our veterans, and I'm also going to lift up the situation in Israel. And I wanted to let you know about one thing, a development in our government that's really uh, refreshing. Mike Johnson has become the Speaker of the House. And if you're wondering why people are clapping, Mike is a committed believer. He's on the board of Living Waters, which is Ray Comfort's ministry. Um, he is a sold-out Christian, not ashamed of his faith, which drives people crazy uh, who want to tar and feather him. But he's so soft-spoken and articulate and, you know, just kind of says, well, you know, uh, we'll, we'll accept the persecution, but we'll, we're taught to love our enemies. And so, you know, he's the Speaker of the House. And, and with all the stuff that was going on, on the, in the Republican Party, with all of that maneuvering, and then for Mike to end up in that spot is a miracle. So God's still doing miracles in government. <laughs> Father, thank you for our veterans. We want to honor them and their families. Thank you for their sacrifice, their service to this great country. With all of our problems and issues in America, it is a privilege to live here, to have the gospel um, really at our foundation. And I pray that America would have a great awakening, Father that we would have a revival and that we would return to the living God. And we want to take a moment to lift up the situation in Israel, Lord. We pray over the nation of Israel. We pray over the military. We pray over Palestinian citizens who don't want war, Palestinian Christians who are in the crosshairs. We pray for mercy. It's hard to know every angle to pray, Lord, but we're just praying for uh, a quick end to evil and uh, praying also for those hostages, Lord, and some of them are children. We just, we just ask, Lord, that they would be delivered and brought back to their families, Lord. So we cry out to you. We know that you are a God of compassion and mercy, and so we're just asking that you would pour that out and help our nation to have wisdom as we uh, think about the, the different ways that we get involved in these things, Lord. Just give wisdom to our leaders and help them to have good counsel around them. Biblical counsel, I pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, we're in Matthew chapter 13. We're going through the kingdom parables. We're going to pick up the, um, we're going to look at three parables this morning taught by Jesus in Matthew 13. So once you have it, would you stand to your feet? I'm going to read the first portion of the text together. And we're picking up Matthew 13 in verse 24. 
the title, The Kingdom Harvest, three parables about growth, and it reads this way. Jesus presented another parable, Matthew 13, 24, to them saying, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares or weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke, another, uh, he spoke another parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. You can have a seat. Lord, thank you for your holy word. May it be written on our hearts. May we have ears to hear what you would say to your church in this hour. May you be glorified both by the teaching of your word and the way that we respond to it. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, and we lay this time at your feet in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the uh, gospel of Matthew chapter 13, we have seven kingdom parables. In fact, if you think about the topic of parables, every story that Jesus told in parabolic form is in one way or another about the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is a huge topic in the New Testament. In fact, it's really what Jesus taught It's what John announced. It's what Jesus taught. It's what the apostles taught. So when Jesus tells these, essentially these stories, he tells parables. And in fact, in verse 24, take a look. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. That's a pretty good definition of a parable. A parable is a human earthly story with a spiritual or heavenly meaning. But more specifically, the parables are about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They illustrate principles within that kingdom. I mentioned to you last week that that kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. So in order to understand the parables, the call is to dig down, to put on your thinking cap, to ask questions about the meaning and even where you fit in the parable. Jesus presented another parable. Last time we looked at the parable of the sower or the the soils. And there the seed in that parable was the word of the kingdom. And we saw an image of a sower broadcasting seed. And the seed is the word of God or the gospel of the kingdom. And it goes and it hits different types of soil. 
And we studied that in the first 23 verses last time we were together. I had a brother come up to me after one of the services and say, I think I have been every one of those soils. <laughs> I think I've been hard. I was hard to the gospel for a time. And then I think I was shallow for a time. And then I think I was choked off by the cares and pleasures of the world. And then finally, I think I got it and I'm bearing some fruit. And I thought, well, that's an interesting take. I'm, I'm not sure why that couldn't be true. So anyway, so the seed last time was the word of the kingdom, but this time the seed is actually the kingdom citizens, and Jesus presents this parable. It's a separate parable now. The word present is almost like presenting a meal. For those of you who like to cook, we like presentation in our cooking, right? I like to put the little, you know, parsley on there. You don't eat the parsley, but it's, you know, it makes everything look nice and good. You present a meal. Well, Jesus is presenting a meal, if you will, a spiritual meal in the form of a parable. He said it before them. And he said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, we're going to learn later that the man who sowed good seed is the son of man or the Messiah. His name is Jesus. Jesus sows good seed in his field because Jesus is good. Amen? God is good. And when God made everything in Genesis 1, he kept saying after he'd make something, it is good. It is good. It is good. The one thing that he said wasn't good was for man to be alone. That was the only thing. And so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took the rib. You know the story, right? And a little boy learned that story in Sunday school, and uh, he went home and he told his mom, oh, my side hurts. And she said, what's wrong, honey? And he said, I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> Sorry. That's just a poor joke. We love all of our wonderful ladies. And of course, I love my beautiful bride. But I thought you might need a little humor. So Jesus sows good seed in his field. And here's what's interesting. Later, he's going to say that the kingdom citizens are the good seed. If you're born again, the good seed of God has come into you. You've been born again, and that seed's been implanted in your life. And right now, he sees you as good. Sometimes when we look at ourselves, even as believers, we, I'm bad. Or we, we sometimes think God is ready to hit us over the head. No, God is good, and he sees us now through his son, and he's not against you. He is for you. So we got to understand that. So God is good and he, he sows good things. But we all know that something's happened to our world. And that is evil is here everywhere we look. I mean, these days we're hearing about the atrocities that Hamas committed against Israel, or citizens of Israel. But it's not just there. There's been a ton of wars over the years. There's multiple wars on the planet going on right now. We can quickly forget about what's happening in Ukraine, but it's not just there. It's other places that we're not even hearing about, uprising and wars and genocide. And Jesus in the parable says, while men or the landowner's men were sleeping, like his servants, everyone was sleeping, but that night as the worker slept, if you have a New Living Translation, his enemy, the landowner's enemy who's good, came and sowed what? Tares also among the wheat and went away. Now scholars say that tares is a type of weed called the darnel plant. Uh, 
And the Darnell plan is interesting. If you go look it up on the internet, what you'll find is the Darnell plan in the early stages of its development is indistinguishable from a wheat plant. So if you had a Darnell seed in a field next to a wheat seed and they grow together, you will not be able to tell the difference until they begin to bud with the flower and the grain. The difference at that point is in color. The Darnell seed is black. The wheat is brown. And the Darnell seed is light so that the Darnell plant stays straight up and the wheat begins to bow. Kind of interesting in the picture, right? Because we're called, if we want to be wheat, we need to bow to the Lord. He will resist the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And Jesus says, while everybody was asleep that night, the enemy, his enemy specifically, note it, in 25, came and so tares among his wheat. Now you say, well, what's the big deal there? Well, the big deal is this. In Rome at this time, it would be considered an act of sabotage to go plant this Darnell seed in a neighbor's field. In fact, you would only do it if you were trying to ruin his crop because the Darnell seed is poisonous to humans and animals. And basically, the commercial value of that harvest is now diminished or destroyed. So an enemy, if he came in and did this, it would only be because he hated you or wanted to see your demise. And secretly, covertly, while everybody's asleep, he comes in and does this, what we would consider a dastardly deed. Punishable, really, in the courts of Rome as something that you would do. And perhaps, you know, some might say you'd do it for revenge or just because you hate the person. Uh, so the, this is agricultural sabotage. Quietly, says Spurgeon, cunningly, without observation. The malicious ones sowed the darnel, and it is up as soon as the wheat. The field is ruined. The yield is poisoned by the mixture of the pernicious plant. What had the enemy gained for himself? Nothing. It was enough for him that he had injured the man that he had hated. And so the enemy comes while the workers are sleeping. And I will say, to take this image into the church just for a moment, and I want to remind you that in this first parable, the field is the world, it's not the church. So sometimes when we've heard this taught, we think the wheat and tares are in the church. That's not the parable. Jesus says the field is the world. It's the cosmos. It's, it's the whole of human society. So uh, if you've heard that before, that's not the accurate interpretation. But here the, the enemy comes in and he plants evil in the world. I just want to talk to you just for a moment about a fundamental question we all have about life and this world. We ask questions like, why is there evil? Amen? In fact, there's a whole category in scholarship called the problem of evil. Books written on it. And if you were to go on the street um, anywhere in the Inland Empire with a microphone and you might say, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? People would say, why is there so much evil in the world, right? It's a very real issue. It's a very real problem. May I submit to you that in this parable, Jesus is giving an insight into the origin of evil. And that is that Satan has come in, he usurped into the garden of Eden, and now he's pictured as coming in and planting this false wheat, counterfeit uh, wheat, if you will. And when the wheat sprang up, 
26 and bore grain. Then the tares became evident also. So it would take a while until it was clear who belonged to who. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? We know who you are. We know that you sow good seed. Why are these, there, these poisonous weeds there? And he said to them, notice, an enemy has done this. He knows what's happened. And the slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? Do you want us to remedy this issue? And maybe they have a, a level of regret for sleeping on the job. Maybe they feel like as watchmen over the field, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And we know as a church, we look at our nation right now, and we might have a level of regret. Maybe you have regret about apathy. Maybe you, maybe you have been praying for revival in America for a long time. But, but there are many places in Ephesians 5 and in the book of Revelation where the Lord says to his church, wake up. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to permeate the culture as much as possible. And I will tell you that probably every one of us has a level of regret. But if you're about my age or older, can I say this to you? It would be good if you start thinking about finishing strong. Amen? And, and it doesn't even matter if you're 18 or 16. You still need to finish strong because you don't know how much time you got. We've spent enough time wasting and not investing in the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you agree? So the, there's some regret from the workers, like, you know, we were sleeping on the job. Can we go and pull up these weeds and make it right? Should we go and gather them up? And he said, no, 29, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. If you went and let's say this was your field and you were going to do some, some pulling up the, of the weeds by hand, the danger is you couldn't recognize the difference between the two until the time of the harvest. So you might pull up the good wheat with the tares. So he says, no, I want you to wait, allow 30, both of them to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, when they gather everything in, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them. Get those weeds, put them in bundles, burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. You've got to wait. Now, the underlying theme here is patience. So in the theme of the wheat and the tares, we're in the world, and, and as we live in the world, look, every generation has had their share of evil to cope with and deal with and try to understand the, the big questions as to why this occurs. But I think the Lord's saying he is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but what? All people to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. So I think that's what the Lord's saying. I'm going to allow this to occur because I want weeds to become wheat. And it is possible, even with this image, to think about conversion. Because whenever anyone turns to the Lord, he moves from the kingdom of darkness, what? To the kingdom of light. So... Jesus, I think, gives us this underlying uh, idea. I want you to wait because I'm merciful. Now, you know, when we look at evil in the world, we, we certainly have a sense of justice as people, and we might think, you know, let's get it quickly eradicated. But the truth is that the Lord is merciful. If I were God, if I had the power of God, and some little pipsqueak raised his fist at me and said, let me tell you something, God, I think I'd be having barbecues all over the landscape. Can I get a witness? You know, oh, yeah? <laughs> X-ray vision? Can't. You know, but that's not our God. 
He gives people a space to repent. He gives people a lifetime to turn. He is merciful. And that's part of the reason we got what we got. We got wheat and tares living together in this world. And the Lord has waited. And certainly, you know, from our point in history, it's been a long time, 2,000 years since Jesus was here. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 12, using harvest imagery, he says, he's saying of the, of the Messiah, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, Matthew 3, 12, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There is a day of judgment coming, but it's still not yet. God's fixed that day only known to him. I was trying to think of, you know, a clever uh, little saying for us as we're thinking about building in Norco. Now, this is new to some of you, but we're an escrow on a property. We don't actually own it yet, but it's uh, about double the acreage that we have, and it'll, it'll end up being about double the building, and it'll give us playgrounds and grass areas and stuff like that, and a fellowship hall, which many of us are longing for, and a really cool thing to consider. So I was trying to think of something clever, like, let's take the land, Let's charge the hill. But I was like, what do you do with a farm? Let's go in the barn at the farm. Yeah. But then it hit me. What are we doing? We're going through kingdom parables. Jesus talks about bringing the wheat into his barn. So our saying is going to be, bring the wheat into the barn. No? You guys don't like it? Anyway, that's not it. I'm just kidding. But I think it is going to be about the kingdom harvest or building for the kingdom harvest. Amen? So God is good. Even where I was in the Bible, he gave us a little thing for our building project. So before Jesus explains the wheat and the tares, he tells two smaller short parables. Here they are. They're all related. He presented another parable, 31. He said to them, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. Some say that's a proverbial saying. There are smaller seeds. Some say in that region it was the smallest seed. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now this mustard seed parable is familiar to a lot of you. And Jesus basically says something small becomes something large, so much so that even birds come and find shelter in its branches. And early Bible commentators took this as a positive picture. And they would say something like this. If you were to take, if you went out today and you bought one of those round globes that spin and you spun the globe and you stopped it with your finger you would probably see a branch of the kingdom of God. Because what started 2,000 years in Galilee with 12 men has moved all around the world, amen? There are millions and billions of Christ followers on the planet today. The branches of the tree of the kingdom of God have gone everywhere, but they started small, like a tiny little seed in northern Israel. And now they have moved everywhere. In fact, missionaries tell us that there's only like a 1040 window. There's a kind of a rectangle on our globe of unreached people groups. But, and, and people are trying to remedy that by getting the gospel to them. But the gospel literally has gone all over the world. 
Now, more recent scholarship, taking a different point of view, said, no, this is a bad picture because the birds in the parable of the sower came and stole the seed. Remember that? And so it's bad. So you look out at the tree and the birds got these glowing eyes and they're evil, wicked birds. Growling at you, right? And But that's not the picture Jesus painted. He said, there's just these birds that nest in this tree that's grown surprisingly big from small beginnings like a mustard seed, which is the correct interpretation. I'm going to tell you the correct interpretation, I believe, is the latter. And when I, sometimes you go out, you know, and maybe you have trees at your house and you hear the birds singing in your trees. What do you think of? It's it's wonderful, isn't it? Sometimes they'll build a nest in your tree or under the eave of your house, right? And, and they're singing. Birds are singing these songs. And I'll tell you what, I find I'm just another one of those birds singing the kingdom song in the tree of the gospel. Amen? It's, I think this is a positive, not a negative. And I'm going to show you why I would conclude that along with other scholars. I'm going to show you three Old Testament passages. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But for those of you who want to turn to your Bibles, it's Daniel 4 is the first one. Now, Daniel was carried as a slave uh, into Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he was serving in the king's court. And it was discovered that Daniel had a gift of interpreting visions and dreams. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream on his bed. And he goes to Daniel to find out the meaning. This is Daniel 4.10. Nebuchadnezzar explains to Daniel. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great or enormous. The tree grew large, Daniel 4.11, and became strong. And its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky, notice, dwelt in its branches. And all living creatures creatures felt, fed themselves from it. Now, the tree in this particular passage is Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel says, you've grown into this mighty leader. I want you to think with me. We're talking about kingdom principles here. Babylon was a kingdom Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Remember, when we introduced the gospel of the kingdom to you early in the gospel of Matthew, I said to you that in the ancient world, this is all people knew. They didn't know constitutional republics. They didn't know democratic systems. They knew a king and a kingdom. And if you were a citizen of a kingdom, you lived under the rule of that king and the authority and power of that king. Nebuchadnezzar had grown, and Babylon, as you know, it wasn't, Uh, a pure society, but certainly Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon had grown so that many people were finding shelter, Uh, birds in the branches pictured here, living creatures finding food and shade, Babylon the Great. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar got proud out on his balcony and God humbled him. And of course, that's, uh, if you keep reading here, he does get cut down. He does get humbled. But the picture nonetheless stands. I want you to see something else. This is in Ezekiel. It's the book before Daniel. Ezekiel 31. We'll put it up on the screen for you. This is about Assyria. Now, Assyria was the major world power before Babylon, moving down through history from Egypt, Assyria to Babylon. Here's what it says about that nation or that kingdom. Therefore, Ezekiel 31, 5, 
Its height was loftier than all the trees of the field. Speaking of Assyria, its bows became many, its branches long because of many waters as it spread them out. All the birds of the heavens nested in its bows, and under its branches all the beasts of the field gave birth, and all great nations lived under its shade. So it was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots extended to many waters. Now you can see, once again, a kingdom picture here of Assyria becoming large and impacting people in a positive way. And then finally, back in Ezekiel 17, I wanted to show you, this is what many would see as a prophecy of the Messiah, Ezekiel 17, 22. Here's what it says. Ezekiel 17, 22. Thus says the Lord God, I shall take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and set it out. I shall pluck up, pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. I shall plant it on a high and lofty mountain. 17, 23. On the high mountain of Israel, I shall plant it that it may bring forth bows or branches or limbs and bear fruit and become a stately cedar. And birds of every kind will nest under it. They will nest in the shade of its branches. And all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the high tree, exalt the low tree. Dry up the green tree, make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will perform it. Back to Matthew. So can you see, brethren, what I'm saying? That the biblical picture of a mustard seed becoming a tree is positive. The kingdom of God has provided shelter all around the world to outcasts. To, and when Jesus was here, to lepers and the, the paralyzed. And the, the church stepped up in Rome when people were casting their babies by the river. And they would come in and they would swoop them up and take them into their homes. Hospitals, orphanages, uh, ministries like Samaritan's Purse going around the world to crisis situations. The branches of the tree, based upon the root of Jesus Christ and his heart for the world, have gone out and many have nested in its branches. Amen? As much as we could be negative about some of the things in the church as a whole, there have been so many wonderful things. In fact... The world is tolerable because of the Christian church in the world. Now, I'm not talking about the nonsense in the church. I'm talking about the good stuff of the church, which should be celebrated and should be uh, a beautiful picture of what God has done. This is a commentator. His name is O'Donnell. Here's what he says. What seems to be the smallest of seeds, a mustard seed, will one day grow into a large tree, a tree so large that all kinds of birds, birds from Jerusalem, birds from Damascus, birds from Macedonia, birds from every corner of the world will make their nest upon it. The Roman Empire no longer exists. It hasn't existed for 1,500 years. Ah, but the kingdom of heaven, that little mustard seed Jesus planted in Galilee two millennia ago has grown into a tree, the biggest, longest living kingdom in history. The Egyptian empire? No. The Assyrian empire, the Babylonian empire, the Aztec empire, the Ottoman empire, the Mongol empire. Christianity has beat them all by persisting for 2,000 years and counting. 
And look at the branches of this tree. There are branches and birds on those branches in North Carolina, South Korea, East Timor, the West Indies, Caribbean, and we could go on and on and on. Amen? This seed has permeated the world. And the next parable is about one of my favorite topics. It's about dough. Look at verse 33. You say dough? Why, Pastor Michael, dough? I'm Italian. I love dough. Can I get a witness, anybody? But something has happened to me, brethren. My digestive system is not doing as good as it used to do with dough. And I'm one of those people that now go into establishments and say, do you have a gluten-free option? I never thought it would happen. I say it with a level of shame in my soul. I will tell you, when this first started happening to me, I am in my 50s, and I'm told this happens. I don't like it, but anyway. So when I first started trying to investigate options, I could not believe what I discovered. Because they have breads named after books of the Bible that taste like cardboard. (laughs) And I'm like, what is this? But progress has been made. Because now they have gluten-free crust options. Have you tried the one at California Pizza Kitchen? It's pretty good. And some pancakes that are even gluten-free that are not too bad. They've made progress. Praise the Lord. But I digress. Anyway, (laughs) now I went there because notice what happens. He says, he spoke another parable to them, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast. Here, this would be like the sourdough starter. How many of you have done that sourdough starter thing? You, you give that ugly little package to a friend of yours. You know, it's like this liquid thing. You're like, what do I do with this? It's alive. Anyway, but, but it's, like, it's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal or into a large amount of flour until it was all leavened. Now, once again, the... Old interpretation was that the leaven was a good thing, started small, you can think of a pinch of yeast, and permeated the whole of the dough, made it all rise. Uh, it was overwhelmed by volume, the, the flour to the yeast, way outmatched, but it began to permeate the whole and, and bring growth and caused it to grow and spread. That's the image. And that's what all the older commentators, or most of them, thought the image was about. The kingdom of heaven, look at verse 33, is like leaven. Now, if you were to pick up uh, certain Bibles, study Bibles more recently, they say leaven in the Bible is always negative. It speaks of evil, false teaching, hypocrisy, and that's all true. But I don't know how the kingdom of God could be like leaven when the kingdom of God is good. How could it be bad? Why would Jesus say the kingdom is like leaven if the kingdom is good and he sows good seed? It makes absolutely no sense. So here's all Jesus is saying. The kingdom, like that little mustard seed, was like a pinch of yeast or a starter sourdough, and it's permeated the whole. It's caused growth all around the world. I think that's all Jesus is saying. Now, I will acknowledge that certainly, uh, you know, Evil has infiltrated the church at times. There's been false teachers and false brethren and all that stuff. 
But I still will say to you, taking this at face value, Jesus is simply saying that the kingdom has affected the whole, starting small, and has grown in a positive, dynamic, expanding uh, way. And that's all I think that Jesus is saying. Even in the most hostile environments, the kingdom of God seems to grow. Places like China, uh, India, and other places. Now, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, 34. And he did not speak to them without a parable. I think this is in a season of his ministry because he did preach like the Sermon on the Mount and other messages. So what was spoken through the prophet from Psalm 78, verse 2, written a thousand years before Jesus lived on the earth, might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. What you have in 34 and 35 is simply a prophecy that Jesus would teach this way. You would know he was the Messiah because he would teach in parable form, story form. But he would invite you in. And if you were interested, he would say, think, try to understand, put yourself into it. Uh, Come to me and ask me. And so the disciples did. It would seem that they understood the simple parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, but they wanted explanation about the wheat and the tares. So here's what happens. Jesus left the multitudes. He went into the house, 36, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares or the weeds of the field. And Jesus answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's another way to say the Messiah, Jesus. The field is the world, Greek word cosmos. It's not the church. The field is the world that God created, if you will. The world is the Lord's and everything in it. And as for the good seed, these are the sons, and we could say the sons and daughters of the kingdom. So they're the good seed. Here in the analogy, the seed is not the word of the kingdom or the gospel. Now it's the people of the kingdom. They're good, bought by the Lord, if you will. He's made them good because of the nature of Christ. The tares are the sons of who? Of the evil one. So now Jesus says, the one who planted the weeds in his field is Satan. Now, some people say, but wait a minute, but God made Satan. Yes, but many people believe that Satan fell and that he's a fallen angel. And we can get into that, but for right now, let's just take the story at face value. Jesus says that the evil one has come in and he's planted, and it's sad to say, but sons and daughters of his kingdom. Someone came up to me after first service and said, Pastor Michael, is it possible that there's a third category, like Switzerland or Sweden? (laughs) What do you mean? I mean this, that there could be a neutral third category. They don't hate God, but they're kind of just neutral. They do a lot of good things, but they don't believe in God. Could there be a third category? I don't think so, because Jesus only gave us two. He said they're sons of the kingdom and they're sons of the evil one. Now, when we look at people in the world, we're like, oh, well, that person doesn't have an ID card that says son or daughter of the evil one. <laughs> There's not an arrow going. <laughs> you know, so what is this deal? Is it really true that you're either a son or daughter of the king or a son or daughter of the kingdom of darkness? It appears to be so from the words of Jesus. And it's not like everybody's walking around with horns and a pitchfork 
and saying, I belong to Satan or I worship Satan. But, but the truth of the matter is that if you're not born again into his kingdom, then you're not going to see his kingdom. And maybe, just maybe, the enemy has more effect on you than you realize because he has permeated the ways of the world. And all you got to do is step back and look for a moment and you, and you sometimes wonder, how did we get where we've gotten on ethics and marriage and a lot of topics? And you're like, this seems demonic. It's, it, it's illogical to begin with, but it seems in, inspired by darkness. It seems that people are calling evil good and good evil. And Jesus clarifies, he says, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Jesus believes there's a devil. The harvest, he's going to explain every nuance now, is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, uh, all stumbling blocks, those who, and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, these are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. And scholars would say this is probably one of the clearest uh, teachings that Jesus gives on judgment. Jesus says, in that place, look at 42. He doesn't give a time. He just says, in that place of judgment, there will be a lot of regret, weeping, and a lot of gnashing of teeth. I don't know if that means people will be gnashing their teeth in hatred towards God or in regret or a little bit of both. But Jesus says, this is all going to happen when? At the end of the age. Now, what's the end of the age? Well, in Jewish thought, the end of the age was the end of one era or period and the beginning of a new one. And here, I don't think there's any question that the end of the age Jesus is talking about is the end of the world and what will occur at his second coming. Jesus gave many illustrations of this, and he talked about the separation of wheat and chaff. Here, wheat and tares and even sheep and goats. You guys remember those stories. And they're all connected to his second coming to judge the world. So I think we've got to see this that way. And with that, Jesus simply, using the illustration from the farm, says this is what's occurred. The enemy has sowed evil in the world, and I, have, I am going to wait. And the harvest is going to be the end of the age, however long that is, whether that's next week or a thousand years from now, we don't know, only he knows. But at that time, I'm going to send my angels, and here's what they're going to do. They are going to gather out of my kingdom all stumbling blocks and all of those who commit lawlessness. They'll be eradicated from this world. Now, a lot of us, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the end times, and we might wonder, well, how does, you know, how will this unfold? And maybe you've seen some movies about the rapture, right? And, you know, maybe you've seen some videos that show Christians disappearing. If, should the rapture occur, this vehicle will be unmanned and all that kind of stuff, right? And clothes, you know, left on a bed and that kind of thing. But just something to consider. When Jesus paints the picture of the last days, 
He says that the angels in verse 41 will gather out of his kingdom all that stumbles and all that wounds, and it seems like that's going to happen first. He says, and they will be cast, the angels are going to execute the wrath of God, cast them into the furnace of fire, and that's where there's going to be this regret and weeping. And then he says these words, then the righteous, the kingdom citizens, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Praise the Lord. It's a good time for a hallelujah right there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now here's what Jesus says. When he is about to reap the harvest, he's gonna come with his angels in mighty power, dealing out retribution. This is 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, to those who do not obey the gospel. He's coming with and all the angels with him. And it looks like this is the picture he's painting in this parable. My angels are going to go out and they're going to start plucking out all the evil from this world. The stumbling blocks, those who have stumbled people, hurt people, uh, gone against my law, and they're going to be taken out and taken out of the way. Even the devil is cast into the lake of fire at some point. Now, you can take the image literally or not. I'll let you wrestle with that. But Jesus says, I'm getting rid of all the evil, all the hurts, all the wounds on that day. I'm going to judge. He is a righteous judge, and we believe in righteous judgment, don't we? In every other sphere of life, we believe it's right. Why isn't it right in God's sight, especially with how long he has waited? But if man continues to rebel, God is saying, look, there's going to be a day when you're going to be counted and you're going to end up either on one side or the other. Would to God that you become a wheat plant. Stop being a weed and become some wheat. Amen? Amen. And that's why I think that's the underlying theme of why he waits. But on that day, God has fixed that day. Judgment will come, and he's going to eradicate evil because it's his world. It's his dirt. It's his plants. It's his seas, his birds, his creatures. He made you. It's his children. And he says, I'm coming back. And it's going to depend upon where you stand with me on that day. But here's the beautiful thing. On that day, the righteous will shine like the sun This is my father's world and we're going to shine in the kingdom of our father and we're going to have glorified bodies. Praise the Lord. And we'll be real shiny like veggie tails. And here's the thing. No more sin. No more death. No more devil. No more disease. No more hurt. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Oh, Father, thank you for Sending Jesus. Thank you that one day we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Right now, Lord, there's a lot of darkness, a lot of struggle. But the gospel tells us that the Son of Man, Jesus, entered into our pain, the field that he made, that he made good, that got corrupted, he came to save. And the God who is good became one of us. And Lord, we know the story that you lived the perfect life, died on that terrible cross, rose from the dead. The one who is good even paid a penalty that he did not deserve to pay, took the wrath of God, experienced the fire of the cross, 
what he experienced in terms of the separation there on the cross. Lord, I don't understand even every angle of that, but crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me all alone? Lord, we know that that's how good you are. You demonstrated that love for us on the cross that while we were yet the weeds, the enemies of God, you died for us, that we might live, that we might become wheat and come into the safety of your barn, to come into the kingdom, to have the hope of the kingdom. Would you keep your heart bowed for a moment? And let me just ask you the question of all questions. Are you a son or daughter of the kingdom? You might say, Pastor Michael, well, how, how do you become one of those? Simply, you trust the king. You decide to make him your Lord instead of yourself, your idols, the enemy. You have to have a moment where you say to him, Lord, I, I've lived my life in rebellion. I've not lived for you. But I want to become your child. I want to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. I believe that Jesus is Lord. Pray it if it's you right now. Don't wait. I repent of my sin and trust in him as my king, my God, my savior, my friend. Teach me your ways, O oh Lord. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for trying to do this without you. Would you change me? Make me into what you want me to be. Let me be born again of your Holy Spirit. Teach me to follow you, to know the joy of the king and the kingdom. Maybe you're a prodigal son or daughter and you've been living as if you weren't a kingdom citizen. This would be a wonderful time just to get right with him and put things back in line in your life. You don't have to have perfect words, but I would just encourage you, cry out to him right now. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here. And for this wonderful congregation, Lord, would you bless them as they are about kingdom business? Would you help them keep sowing seed and uh, living for what's true and right and lovely and pure? Help us to quickly uh, get right when we fall out of line ourselves, Lord. And um, thank you for this this beautiful church. I pray you would bless them, keep them, shine upon them, and give them strength. And I do pray for those who need a healing touch right now too, Lord, in any area of their life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, or otherwise. Extend your mighty hand and touch your people. Fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit and with the hope of the kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.